Let's turn to Thomas Mulcair on a Mulcair Monday, former leader of the federal NDP and the opposition. Nice to have you, sir. Good morning. Good to be with you, John. Looks like Canadian Special Forces members are on the ground in Israel. Does that materially change anything? Not for the moment, but if push comes to shove, we'll know that we've got a few hundred of our best troops there to help. And that's not a good sign <laughs> that Canada decided and Israel agreed that Canadian troops could be on the ground. Last night, the Department of National Defense indeed confirmed that. It's only happened a couple of times in my memory, and you can understand the, the reticence of the government to do it, but the need to have it in, in case, because Remember Benghazi. Remember what happened to the Americans in Libya as that country was falling apart. If a situation arose where Canadian diplomats needed to have protection and the ability to move quickly, of course, those troops will be there for that. Uh, meanwhile, the UN rejecting Canada's push to call out, quote, deliberate uh, cruelty of Hamas attacks. That's only one of the things that they're all picking over at the UN when it comes to trying to come to a resolution. Yeah, and it's important to point out, uh, John, in fact, that there was a clear majority in favor of Canada's amendment, but it required two thirds and it fell just shy of that. So the, the main motion went through without the Canadian amendment, which would have at least pointed to the obvious fact that there's been an abject terrorist attack against Israeli citizens by Hamas, a, a terrorist organization. And so that was rejected. And, you know, Canada's attempt, at least was duly noted, the Americans backed it strongly. Bob Ray was very strong in, in his speech to the assembly. But of course, as I just mentioned, it fell short. It, that's a shame because it is important if people want to have a balanced understanding of what's going on, it starts with a terrorist attack. It starts with the abduction, the kidnapping of hundreds of people. And the, the killings were the worst, of course, that had happened since Israel was created in 1948. And it harkened back to wanting to kill Jews because that was the stated purpose of Hamas. Their, their main backers in Iran saying that they want Palestine to be free from the river to the sea, which would mean you would be getting rid of a country of eight and a half million people. So, yes, uh, you know, it's, it's an unbelievable situation, but we have to remind ourselves whatever else we think of the current humanitarian situation, which is horrific. And you've got to make sure we do everything we can to, to take care of the innocent civilians in Gaza. We've also got to remember how this thing started. That's that's essential. Okay, let's listen to Goody Hutchings, who is the Liberal Rural Economic Minister. This happened on Question Period yesterday, and it's all about the carbon tax, which I increasingly think is going to be Justin Trudeau's undoing. That's a discussion yes. that we'll have down the road when we know that this one is working. But I can tell you, Atlantic Caucus was vocal with what they've heard from their constituents, and uh, perhaps they need to elect more Liberals on the prairies so that we can have that conversation as well. All right. That's going to go over big. Um, <laughs> Thomas Mulcair, I honestly think, I mean, Justin Trudeau backing down on one aspect of the carbon tax is the beginning. This is like a game of kerplunk. It's the beginning of the end of the carbon tax, in which case Canada will have no climate strategy at all. I don't think it could be better summarized than what you just said. It's exactly what's happening now. Trudeau looked at the political map and said, I can't do this. The whole thing that the Liberals put together, you know, it's, a, it's an essential system. It's exactly what Biden's plan was that he's completely abandoned since. But the idea is you impose a fairly high carbon tax that forces down CO2 emissions in particular, other greenhouse gases as well. 
puts you on a track to respect your international obligations like the Paris Accord. Lo and behold, a little bit of pushback in Atlantic Canada. You didn't think about the fact that Atlantic Canada, a lot of people use heating oil and we're going to get doubly hit. The whole argument was premised on the return of some money to taxpayers. So you would get a rebate check back and that was supposed to balance the whole thing out. What happened? Parliamentary budget officer looks at this thing and says, this is a pig in a poke. It's not true that people are getting their money back. It's a tax. And so in Atlantic Canada, that's strong, you know, we've got some fairly strong uh, conservative premiers there now. I think uh, Premier Houston, Nova Scotia in particular, Brain, Blaine Higgs, although he's had problems, is still fairly ascendant in New Brunswick. And they were just pushing back very strongly. Trudeau caved. And you look at all the statements by, by Justin Trudeau and by Stephen Gilbo, his environment minister, and this is in flagrant contradiction. I can't see how they can hold on to it in a place like Ontario. You know, even though Ontario uses natural gas and not heating oil, it's people who use natural gas to heat are going to be hit with the carbon tax. How does Trudeau justify the carve out for Atlantic Canada and not give the same thing to the conservatives in Ontario? I can't see it holding on. And as you say, beginning of the end of the carbon tax and the whole structure for Canada to try to meet its international obligations. Okay, well, the environment has always been very close to the heart of NDPers. What happens now? I mean, what should our strategy be? Very interesting, because look at what Rachel Notley was saying in Alberta. She tried to have it both ways, going after Trudeau for the mistaken approach, but essentially she was coming out, if you look at it objectively, against the carbon tax. Go back a couple of elections back, Carol James, head of the NDP back then, their whole campaign was axe the tax, because the Liberals i.e. out there, the right-wing party, the Conservatives, in fact, using the name Liberals, they were saying, we're going to have a carbon tax. And BC still has one of the only true effective carbon taxes, but it was despite the NDP. So th this whole bit about, you know, pocketbook issues, talking to the working class and working families sometimes puts them, puts them in an odd position. And on this one, they've, they've had trouble. I remember when Jack and I were there, we came out strongly against Stéphane Dion's plan because it was a carbon tax as opposed to a cap and trade system because cap and trade can produce the result. But I think we were splitting hairs because you're either on board or you're not for this fight. And it's a fight that's going to cost something. But right now, Trudeau is simply looking at this thing saying, I'm going to get clobbered politically. But I think he's going to get clobbered anyway. One, we just talked about Ontario. Two, all he's told people in Atlantic Canada is, oh, you know that tsunami? I've held it back for three years. Mm. But then I'm going to let the whole thing come and swamp you. So at the next election, the Conservatives, you can just imagine Poitier saying, if you ever put Trudeau back, he's going to come and whack you with this tax again. So it's it's lose-lose. Poitier has had such an easy time of it on this one. You know, he's, he's describing this as a panicked flip-flop by Trudeau. And I think that that's the exact right phrase. Thank you, sir. Good to have you on a Monday. Great to talk to you, John. All the best. Thomas Mulcair. And yeah, this is a, a sort of like two hand grenades, I think, for Justin Trudeau, because it's the end of the carbon tax. But he'll also probably, which, you know, the conservatives can clobber him with, but he'll probably also take it in the face for having backed down from his climate change policy from loyalists.